church good morning i'm going to try this again if it doesn't work if it gives me trouble then i'll switch back to the other to the handheld but good morning good morning it's good to be back this morning thank you jared for uh for leading us last week preaching the word last week i appreciate it so much jared i know you guys were blessed amen amen we had a productive week in uh san antonio previous week doing the business of the church of God. I am thankful for the church of God. I'm several things I'm thankful for, uh, for the last week, but first I would have to say this. I'm thankful for the diversity in our, in our structure, in our, in our church government structure. Uh, we have, we have the, uh, what was called the council of 18 and the, and the, we have the executive committee and I am thankful for the diversity that was elected to our council of 18 and to our, into our, executive committee um, if you look on my Facebook page or the Church of God Facebook page you'll see you'll see the diversity represented but it is it is a very diverse group of, uh, of, of folks of international folks of, of, of folks here Hispanic African American just a wonderful wonderful diverse selection and um, it's been wonderful and I'm, I'm, one of the things that, that was just exciting to me on to this excitement with me, but to me, one of the things that was so exciting was that a, a an African-American minister in the Church of God was elected as the chairman. He received the most votes um, in the Church of God to, for the Council of 18, so he's the chairman of the Council of 18, and to me, that's a huge deal, and I love it, and I'm excited for the re- reconciliation and, the, and what God is doing in the Church of God, and so that's exciting. I got chills just thinking about what God is doing in the church. Um, so God is working to reconcile our hearts. Another thing that I want to mention that I'm thankful for is the presence of the Spirit of God in our worship gatherings. Um, one of the most powerful, beautiful collisions of the preached word and the Spirit presence that I've ever experienced happened in our worship gathering on Wednesday night. I want to tell you, it was session at 8, 8.30, had to be there, business session started at 8.30, there was a pre-business session, prayers at 8 in the morning, so from 8.30 to 11.30, business sessions from 1.30 to 4.30 or longer if they needed to go longer, business sessions, 7 o'clock till 9.30, 10 o'clock, worship services, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I was wore out. Wednesday night, man, it was just, I, I was talking to my mom uh, uh, Friday, had to drive Ellison up to Lee University to tour the campus on Friday, and because um, my daughter is growing up, and I'm sad, um, but I had to drive up uh, t- for her to tour the campus on Friday, and I was having a lunch with my mom and, and her husband and my grandfather, and um, nice, nice dinner with them, but we was talking about the Wednesday night service. Just, just I just felt the spirit of God just again just talking about it. I got I got what you know those old Holy Ghost chill bumps right Holy Ghost goosebumps you know you feel it's just the presence of Christ but I'm just gonna tell you, Wednesday night a uh, we had Hispanic pastors preach and I say pastors because uh, he preached and his wife preached they preached together and he preached that he preached 
preached in English predominantly, and she translated and preached in Spanish to the Spanish congregation because we're an international church. We have, a, we have Church of God congregations in the 186 nations around the world. And so he preached in English mostly, and she preached and translated. And there were times that he would preach, he would just get happy and preach in Spanish. And so she would preach in English. And there were some times that she would preach, and then he would just catch up to her. It was just an amazing, and I'm excited about it right now. It was just an amazing night. But there was one time that he was, pre- he was preaching, and, and, and she just felt, felt it. And she just began to just began to, to worship. And the Hispanic delegation of, 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 of a thousand or so that were there just began, they all just began spontaneously to sing this worship song in Spanish. Oh my goodness. It was it, it was the most powerful, moving celebration of joy and presence of Christ in a worship service where the Spirit of This morning, I want to talk to you about good news for bad religion. Good news for bad religion. I'm not talking about the punk band, right? Good news for bad religion. Just a few of you got that. It's okay. What is bad religion? Bad religion, is, in my mind, it's best defined as a professed love for God that doesn't result in the love of neighbor. That's bad religion. We're going to dig into Luke 10 in just a minute, but let's start by looking at James, okay, the Jesus. And so James is going to give us a definition of good and perfect religion. So James chapter 1, verse 27 says this, pure and undefiled religion, good, perfect religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So pure and undefiled religion, according to James, has two parts. James has two parts. The first is good works towards the marginalized. Good works towards the marginalized, the orphan and the widow, those who have been who are, are outcasts in society, those who are who are pushed out by society, those who, who don't have the resources or the ability to, 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 to meet their needs, those who have been who have been seen as less than or othered by society, those who need help. The first thing that we see about good and perfect religion, good is that it has good works toward the marginalized, towards the outcast, toward those who need help. Second that we see, according to James, in good and perfect religion, is that it, it, it shows itself in living distinctly holy lives. So if you're taking notes this morning, you would see that, that, that good religion, perfect religion, is good works towards the marginalized, and second, it's living distinctly holy lives. What does that mean? It says, it says keep oneself unstained from the world. You're the should be good works and holiness. Okay, we, we often we often miss, miss those. 
church, we major on good works, we major on good works, and we think, well, if we just do, do good and treat each other well and, and, and act justly and do, do justice for, for our neighbor, that that's all that God requires of us. That's part of what God requires of us. That's not all that God requires of us. The other thing God requires of us is to live holy, distinctly holy lives, separated from the world. Our witness should not just be the witness of a good person, but the witness of a Christian. One who has been saved, one who has been set free, one who has been transformed by the blood of Christ, by the work of Christ. So we should live distinctly holy lives. Our lives should be marked by holiness. Holiness looks like and means to live according to God's standard of living. Not giving in to the works of the flesh. Says the works of the flesh are obvious, right? Lying, murder, sexual sin, divisions, disobedient to parents, all those things. That's the works of the flesh. As, as believers, we're to live distinctly holy lives against the fruit of the Spirit. Against the Spirit, there is no law. We're to live holy lives. So, good works is good news for bad religion. What is good religion? Good religion. Perfect religion, James says, is good works toward the marginalized and living distinctly holy lives. So James is probably the most practical book in the New Testament, right? It offers wisdom, it offers advice, it offers direction, it offers instruction, it offers plain spoke religion and righteous other. And so as we look at good news for bad religion this morning, we have to recognize that bad religion for holy lives. It produces dead, murderous religion. So let's get over to Luke. Luke's gospel, see what Jesus has to say about good news for bad religion. Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, Jesus said. How, how, how do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. To justify himself, because he wanted to make himself feel better and make sure, you know, he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And in the same way, a Levite, when he arrived, and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came to him, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion, went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell in the hand of robbers? Well, the one who showed mercy to him, he said. And Jesus said, go and do the same. So as we talk about this good news for bad religion, the first thing that Jesus talks about is loving the one true God, right? Good news for bad religion begins with a genuine love for God. It's actually in the law. The expert in the law is quoting the law to Jesus, and it's, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. 
soul, with all your strength. It's, this is referred to as the Shema. It's the Shema. It means to hear. Every faithful Jew recited the Shema twice a day to remind themselves of Yahweh, the one true God, and their duty to Yahweh. The Jews were monotheists. Mono means one. They worshiped one God. All the nations around them were polytheists. Poly means multiple. They worshiped multiple gods. There was a distinctiveness in the way that the Jews, that the Hebrews worshiped God, and there was this distinctiveness in who they worshiped. They did not worship all the pantheon of other gods. They worshiped one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Scripture teaches us that the Lord is one, that there is one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, not three gods, one God, one in essence, one in unity, one in purpose, one in nature, one in divinity, one God, not three gods, one God, and it's the only God that the Hebrews worship. It's the only God that they were allowed to worship. They did begin to worship other gods, and God brought judgment on them for it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, as we talk about this three in one, this, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and they will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. It does not say that God said, let us make man in our image. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. This is a triunity within the Godhead. This is a triunity within the Godhead. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, God is one God. Go ahead and look at him. Tell him, the Lord is one God. Make sure they hear you. says that in, in, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. There is one God eternally existing in three persons, and God has revealed himself to us in the three persons of the Godhead, and God, and God has given us and created us in his image. And every devout Hebrew would say that twice a day. They would say the Shema twice a day to remind themselves to serve the one true God and to remind themselves that they were only to serve the one true God and that there was no God like the one true God, that you're to love the Lord, your God, the one and only God. There is no good religion. There is no good religion that abandons the one true God. Amen? There's no good religion that creates a God of self. There's no good religion that ignores the word and the nature of the one true God. There is no good religion that ignores the Shema. There can be good people who do good works, but without the love of the one true God, it does not have eternal merit. So what does it mean to love God? Well, the Shema and the questioner of Jesus answer it this way. They tell us this. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. I generally go to Rooted and Grounded here in Mobile Coffee House to uh, write my sermons. And 
my sermons. And over the summer, I've been taking Carter with me, and uh, he'll get, he doesn't usually get coffee, but he'll get a hot chocolate, or he'll get a, uh, a juice drink. And uh, this week, I asked him, uh, I asked him, and he helped me write my sermon this, this morning. So these notes you're about to get, these, these main points, these are Carter's. So if, 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 if they bless you this morning, you can tell Carter, good job on the sermon today. So I asked Carter to help me write my sermon, so these next four sub-points come from him. The first one is this, when we're talking about loving the Lord your God, it's this, all your heart, all your heart. So I asked Carter, what does that mean? And Carter says, <coughs> excuse me, Carter says that to love God with all your heart means that you're to love nothing more than you love God. Love nothing more than you love God. That's a good point, Carter. Amen? Amen, Carter. So I want to continue that thought. Nothing. Love God, nothing more. Nothing more. Not your wealth, not your, not your passions, not your sexuality, not your race, not your Lego collection or your dinosaur dreams. Yes, I listened last week, Jared. Not your security, not your plans.
Carter says that loving God with all your soul means that you live for God. You live for God. Your very nature longs to know God. The deepest of you longs for God. You live for God. Oh, we found something. Where did that come from? Is that your car? sir. Y'all give Jerry just a, a hand just because. There's water in the truck. Rada, da, da, da. You live for God because your soul is raptured, caught up, enamored with the person of God. You don't want anything else there is nothing and no one that you want to live for. Nothing else you want to pursue more than God. You give your very self to knowing and loving God and all that entails and all that requires because you love God with all your soul, all your strength. What does it mean to love God with all your strength? Carter wants us to know that to love God with all your strength means to love God with it means to give everything to him. To give everything to him. Loving God with all your strength means that you hold nothing back from God. You hold nothing back in your love for God. It means to go all out for God. To be wasted for God. To give all you are in your passionate pursuit of this one true and sometimes it's tiresome. Sometimes it's tiresome in this fight against sin. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness. We love God with all of our strength. And when we've done all to stand, we keep standing armed with the weapons of God and the spirit of God. And we love God with all of our strength. We give everything, all of us, all that we are to God. And finally, soul and your, your strength and your, your mind. What's it mean to love God with all your mind? Well, Carter says this means to love God with your thoughts. To love God with your thoughts. This to me, this is profound. This is profound. Paul addresses our thoughts multiple times. I want to talk about two. Thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You read that this morning. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. That means we give no quarter to any thought that would tempt us away from obedience in Christ. We arrest every thought that would tempt us away from obedience to Christ. We do not give any thought freedom to operate in our minds that would pull us away from loving and serving God. We do not give freedom. We take it captive. And that any thought that would lead us into temptation must be silenced and given no voice. We take it captive. Now here, listen. It doesn't
doesn't mean that we're not going to have thoughts come in. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have temptation come our way. It means that when those thoughts do come in, when those temptations do hit, we do not entertain them. We do not endorse them. We reject them by the power of Christ Jesus. We take it captive. We arrest it. We do not give it freedom to operate. But not only does Paul address the thoughts we should resist, he tells us the thoughts we should embrace, right? In Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The King James Version, right, grew up, anybody grow up when you were a little kid reading the King James Version? Right, I remember getting the King James Version, reading it when I was like five years old, starting Genesis 1. I, I, it, I guess that was good, right? Better than not reading the Bible at all. Amen? The King James Version says, whatsoever. Whatsoever. I, I love the whatsoever's. I, I, I just like to refer to the whatsoever's. Whatsoever is a cooler word than whatever. Whatsoever just sounds awesome. Whatsoever is lovely. Whatsoever is commendable. Whatsoever, I love the whatsoever. So whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatever is, whatsoever is commendable, whatsoever is excellent, whatever, whatsoever is praiseworthy. Think on these things. Whatsoever has moral excellence and moral goodness and moral rightness, think on these things. If Paul modeled it and taught it, think on these things. Don't give your mind to things that and not excellent and not morally commendable. Don't entertain those thoughts. If it doesn't bring honor, let it go. If it's not eternally true, get it out of your mind. Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Think on these things. Put these thoughts in your mind. Put these things in your thoughts. Now, listen, that means that you got to check your music. you got to check your movies. you got to check your YouTube subscriptions. you got to check your TikTok. you got to check the news. you got to make sure that you're not feasting on a diet of destruction. When God is calling you to excellence, you cannot feast on a diet of destruction when God is calling you to life. Check what goes in your head. Does the thing, does the stream of the things that you are putting in your head produce thoughts in accordance with Philippians 4, 8, and 9? If the stream of things you're putting in your head do not produce things in accordance with Philippians 4, 8, and 9, I don't care if it's Christian music, I don't care if it's secular music, if it's not producing goodness in you, cut it off. Take out the AirPods, change the channel, deactivate your account. Because what you think about determines what you believe. Hear that. What you think about determines what you believe. What you believe determines how you live. And how you live 
dad used to quote, I, I think, I'm not sure who it was. I think he was quoting Zig Ziglar. I've never read a Zig Ziglar book, but he was popular back in the day. And he would say, get a checkup from the neck up and get rid of your stinking thinking. Check what's going into your mind. God has better for you than this world has to offer, church. Trust and obey the goodness and the mercy and the word of God. And start doing that by thinking on the whatsoevers. That may mean you need to change your music habits for the next 30 days. That may mean you need to change your TikTok viewing, which I would say, just turn it off. The algorithms win. The algorithms win. Start by thinking on the whatsoevers. Right? So love God. That's first. Second answer is love your neighbor. And I'm going to be closing soon. Six percent left on my iPad. So good news for bad religion begins by loving God, and then it also reveals itself in a genuine love for God that results in a love of neighbor. Luke 20, 10, 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So the first part of the Shema. Is, is there. He, he, he read from the Shema, he quoted the Shema in the, in the first part of, the, of his answer. But the, your, loving your neighbor as yourself is also taken from the Torah. It's also taken from the Old Testament. It's taken from the, from the books of the law. In Leviticus chapter 19, it says, Do not harbor hatred against your brother, verse 17 and 18. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am God. Now, here's what Here's what the, the, the guy was trying to trick Jesus, because it says, don't bear a grudge, don't take revenge against members of your community, but love your neighbor. And so the, the, the guy said, well, who's my neighbor? Because it says members of your community. Now, if you know the story, right, you know he, he begins to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we'll talk about in a second. But before we dig in, I want to remind you, the Jews and the Samaritans were not community. They did not like one another, especially the Jews against the Samaritans. They considered them, they, they considered them worshiping wrongly. They considered them to be half breeds, half Jewish, half not Jewish, a mixed race. That was, was the terminology that was used. And so they, they treated them as if they weren't fully Jesus begins to tell this parable. He uses, he, he tells us that the Samaritan is the neighbor, right? The Samaritan is the neighbor. What is Jesus trying to teach us? Is that or it was one people 
should not be any barriers. So the command to love your neighbor is rooted in the nature of the one true God. And what God is saying is that you can't love God properly without loving your neighbor. And when you truly know God, you will live lovingly towards others, even those who want to take advantage of you, those who have wronged against you, those who are different than you. Loving your neighbor does not mean agreeing with their sin. If they are in sin, it means demonstrating boldly goodness to them. And so Jesus gives us a parable. I'm going to be quick. And he says, don't be like the robbers who take, who abuse, who steal to get what they want. Don't be like the religious hypocrite who outwardly represent God, but inwardly are in it for themselves. Don't be like the robber. Don't be like the religious hypocrite who ignores the cries of the broken and the marginalized and those who are pushed away and they don't offer hope or healing. Instead, be like the Samaritan, the ones, the very one that the Jews would have seen as not the hero of the story, the one that in their minds they would have seen and been, been, been already biased against, prejudiced towards. And Jesus says, be like the Samaritan. Be like the Samaritan. We see the Samaritan, he has compassion that moves to action. Even if it costs him something, he, he uses his own money to help bring, pay for the guy's lodging. The Samaritan sees the hurt and the broken and doesn't move to the other side of the road like the religious hypocrites did. But moves closer. Loving your neighbor, that is where we see love for God. Be a neighbor. Go and do the same. Jesus is saying, everyone that you come in contact with is in your community. They are community to you. They are your neighbor. And you should not have, there, you should not allow any barrier to present you from treating them as community, as Jesus is the fulfillment of the law because Jesus is God loving us, inviting us into community. That's Jesus, and that's what God is doing for us, and that's what it means to love God. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you stumble over words, God, that you are 
we treat our brothers or sisters like the religious hypocrite and not like the good Samaritan, that, Lord, you call us to repentance. And, Lord, that we can find hope and purpose and love and that we can love you with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And, Heavenly Father, that you, Jesus,
specifically, yeah, I'm going to pray for you this week as I, as I do. But I believe that if you write that down this morning and turn that in, that, that, is, that that's going to be a tangible sign between yourself and God that you are, that you are seeking Him and, 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 and desiring Him to move. So there's a card nearby in front of you. Take a moment, fill that out. I encourage you. Fill that out. Hand it to me on your way out or hand it to the connection desk on your way out. And I'm going to be praying for you specifically for that need that you write down this morning. And I'm going to be trusting God with you. And I'm going to believe in God, be believing God with you. Because God has greater for you than you even imagine. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Brent.